LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And a first-time guest, and I think probably the first time you will have heard from a guest quite like this. Yes, this is going to be a... I mean, obviously, we're going to go through our five questions because that's our podcast. Yes. (laughs) But uh, a lot of the side questions and side conversation we're going to have, especially about the idea of being a virtual number two at a, at a church is going to be awesome. So yeah. who do we have on with us? Okay. We have on Holly Brown and uh, she is the executive person at, um, at Embrace up in South Dakota with Adam Weber. So we have had Adam on once at least. Maybe It was pre my days. It was pre your days? Yeah. Okay, well, I know we've had Adam on because we met a couple years ago somewhere, sometime in some dark place, probably Brad Lominick or I don't know what connection that was. Do all roads lead back to Brad Lominick? No, they don't all lead back to Lominick, (laughs) but the dark ones do. Uh, So, no. But Holly Brown is not one of the dark ones. No, no, no. no. We've had Chris Brown, her husband, on uh, (laughs) several times as well. And, uh, you know, he he did Entree and I always mess this up. Live, Love, Lead. No? Was that his podcast? No. I don't know. I think that's uh, Houston's book. Yeah. Brian Houston's book. <laughs> yeah, and your your threads are all being mixed up today. It is. It's bad. <laughs> uh, but we're really here. Book. We're really here to talk about Holly and her experience um, in, you know, being a part of a virtual team, which means if you're part of one, you're you're leading one, um, as well as just the absolute explosive growth that Embrace has seen in, you know, a place, that, an area of the country that you don't expect to see a lot of growth, and that's South Dakota. So um, very excited to talk to you today, Holly. What what are some other things that you'd like us to know? Oh wow! Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here and uh, just to share a little bit, so um, we can talk about whatever you guys want to talk about: virtual, executive pastor, leadership, um, learning how to run a farm. Uh, it's currently a faux <laughs> farm because we don't have many animals, but um, I'm reinventing myself as a farm wife on the side. So that's awesome. You guys, let me know, and we can tackle any and all of it. Well, due to my upbringing. I, uh, I, I had lunch, uh, with your husband probably, I don't know, it was in December and we talked a little bit about the farm. Cause I'm like, are you haying it? Who are you having hay yet? Are you, <laughs> you know, are you making any money off the hay? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Uh, cause you know, a farm should, should come close to paying for itself and just the land, not just, <laughs> I know you all have Airbnbs and stuff like that going on, which is amazing. Uh, amazing to see. And that's Columbia, which is an hour or so out of, oh, it's more than an hour. How, how okay. far is it out of Nashville? No, we're only about 50, about 50 minutes from, 50 from minutes. the airport. So we're, we're not too bad. Okay. So Holly, before we get into our questions, talk sure. to us about how you live in Tennessee and how the church is in, is it South Dakota? Sioux Falls. Yep. It's so, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So how did that come about? How does that work? Uh, being the number two that far away, do you travel? Are you there on the weekends? Yeah, what? Just tell us about everything about that arrangement. Yeah, sure. Well, um, actually, it, it literally is something that I stumbled upon. I 
uh, was going honestly through a pretty, pretty rough time, pretty dark period a few years ago, following um, just a, a, a really tough season at a church, a large church in Nashville here that I work for. And um, so coming out of that season, I was pretty set on, I am going to do this farm wife thing. I'm going to, my husband travels, he speaks. I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader. I'm going to be on the front row. Something that being executive pastor by myself, I just never really had had the opportunity to do. Yeah. It was more of high five in the driveway uh, kind of kind of deal. And so my first trip that I ever went with my husband to watch him speak uh, <laughs> happened to be in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And so I was sitting on the front row minding my own business. And uh, Adam Weber, the lead pastor, comes up to me and says, hey, would you, have, would you be willing to leave because there was three or four services would you be able willing to leave and come check out our other campuses and let me know what you think about them and I was like oh man I came to be a cheerleader to sit here to watch him yeah I busted out after the first service we went and checked out the other campuses and uh, before I knew it Adam had just called me and said hey I've got this crazy crazy idea would you at all be open to to helping us and coming on staff here and working remotely and then just coming out, you know, once a month and uh, spending time with the team, training the team, helping us with uh, just some different things that they were struggling with at the time. And um, I was absolutely not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going back into full-time ministry anytime soon. And it really just was a way that as I prayed about it, that I really felt like God was just saying, this is, this is a, healthy way for you to get back involved, to be a part. And in my head, it meant I wasn't going to be so close that I wouldn't have to be as vulnerable. I wouldn't have to be set up for hurt and pain. Um, now that's kind of all proven itself over the last three years to be a different story. Um, when you do virtual well, you really do become ingrained and uh, ingrained in the team and a part of the team. But that was my mindset, to be honest with you. I was trying to survive my call. I knew I was wounded, but God... Uh, made it very clear that my woundedness would not disqualify me and uh, getting healthy and uh, building the local churches is my calling. And so he provided this opportunity that seemed safer to me at the time and has just really blossomed into something that um, works, works for all of us and um, is, is having a pretty, pretty solid impact. So we're, we're excited about it on both sides, I would say. <laughs> That's awesome. So are you, are you more on the, the ministry side of things or on the operations side? I mean, what does that role look yep. like and, and how many when hours I, do you do? Yep. When I first started, I was, um, uh, one of three executive pastors and currently, um, the, the sole executive pastor. Uh, but we, so I oversee a lot. Uh, I oversee all of our campuses, campus pastors okay. and our, uh, ministries. I, as far as finances and stuff, I've uh, been able to raise up some of our campus pastors so who also operate as CFOs and um, and have even carried some of the ministry um, oversight as well. So, and as far as the, how many hours I work, that fluctuates depending on the season. So uh, we did go through a pretty tough season about six months ago. So I, I bumped up to, well, when I work part-time, it's technically full-time. When I work full-time, it's probably time and a half. Uh, but I, bu I bumped up to uh, full-time uh, to get us through the season to develop some leaders that could then step up to uh, more of an executive level role. And so I did that for six, eight months. And then I'll scale back um, just to allow we're in a busy season with teenagers and things like that in my life. So um, in, in my family's life. So we'll, I'll scale back a little bit as, as the, as the church 
can, can, can do that. And so I just kind of ebb and flow based on what our needs are currently amongst the staff and where our leaders are at. So before we get into our, uh, our first question, I do have one or two more that have to deal with um, embrace. And that is, you know, what's been over the last three period, what has been, you know, the, the major, um, uh, I want to say emphasis, but that's our second question. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's been the main thing that you've kind of dealt with and grown through because you had said uh, earlier that you know I, I always uh, I always used to say that as a as an executive pastor we wanted we didn't want people to commute to community, but at the same time those churches those campus pastors especially were a part of our larger staff community. Mm-hmm. So how did you you know you said hey I I, I didn't want to I wanted this be, because it was at first part time and a safe distance. And then over the course of time, mm-hmm. you know, that connection to that church community, at least the st- church staff community, especially, you know, th- that developed. So what did that process look like? And then what are what have been some of the main things that you guys as a staff have done over the last uh, three years? What's it look like for the church? What season or seasons has the church been in that process? Oh, sure. Um so as far as building the community amongst the staff, especially being virtual, you know, multi-site has really given way to what I'm doing. Uh, you know, when multi-site kind of came on the table, there, there's a lot of staff that doesn't see each other in the same room. Um, and that's, been, you know, for, for a month or a quarter um, at a time. And that's been a very, you know, normal thing in the last decade of church ministry. So if it, being on a multi-site church like I'm at, it's really not that abnormal. Uh, and the, the part that's really helped us build community is because when I'm out there, all of our campus pastors, no matter where they're located, they all drive in. We all spend time together. We hang. I really go out there for relational, uh, relational connection more than anything else. All the meetings, all the strategies, all the agendas, all that stuff happens online. I go out there once a month literally to love the staff and build community with the staff. And about six months in, we had one of our campus pastors spoke up a big, we had a big team night. We're all out just hanging out. And one of the campus pastors spoke up and said, you know, I thought for sure this was going to be really weird and hard to get used to, or hard to get used to having a boss that's not here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said, but honestly, I'm close. We're closer as a team than we've ever been. Uh, even when we've had our bosses on site mm. because we all, and it's not me, it's, we all make a point once a month, we spend an entire day together. Uh, some of that day is planning. Some of that majority of that day is hanging out, discussing what God's doing in our lives, where we're struggling. And honestly, I never did that with my teams once a month when I, when I lived in the same city, they did. And so sometimes six, eight months would go by. We're like, well, we got to have a Christmas party, you know? And so uh, doing that every 30 days as a team and all of us being intentional, getting in the room has honestly made this one of the closest teams I've ever led. So do you find that because you're virtual, um, that that's actually changed other, other staff? Like do, do other staff work virtually as well? Uh, we, we don't, we do try to keep it to a certain percentage of our staff and, and do try to keep it, uh, keep it pretty low on the staff because we do, while, while we definitely believe in virtual, we also 
there's definitely some disadvantages. What you know, there's both. There's advantages and disadvantages. So we try to keep that pretty level as far as just having a few. But we have a campus, you know, that's five hours away, and so that entire staff. We have somebody who dual roles and a central role. From there, um, we've had different different roles on the team at times. But from a leadership role um, or an executive role. I am currently the only one, um, not to say that we wouldn't be open to that, but we would probably keep that percentage um, pretty low just to know that when we call the staff in the room, there's certain things I can't touch. I can't lay hands on you and pray for you, things like that, that we, we do value that as being important for the entirety of the staff. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Man, that's awesome. I'm sure more of this will come out throughout the rest of the podcast, but let's get started with our first question, which is who are you learning from? Oh, wow. Who am I learning from? Um, gosh, I am learning from. Apparently you're I... learning from South Dakota because that <laughs> sounded like a very South Dakota. Wow. Not it? Tennessee. <laughs> Is it the longer? Oh, wow. Wow. If you hear y'all come out, they're all going to kill me when they listen to this. So I'm doing my best to stay focused oh, on wow. you guys. Can you say baggy? <laughs> uh, baggy? 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 <laughs> all my friends from up that way are like baggy. Yes, exactly. Or A's or E's. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I, I've probably listened to a lot of the same podcasts that most of the listeners listen to this one and, and Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley. I've got an eclectic learning. I, I love Brene Brown currently taking my team through her latest book there to lead. Uh, but my, my biggest probably learning avenue in the last probably four or five years has been, um, I try to partner what I'm reading in the Bible with historical fiction. And I've found some authors that I just absolutely love, but that's kind of become my go-to as far as just understanding the context of, of whatever I'm reading and being able to then translate that into what that means in modern life. So that's been my favorite way to learn personally um, and to and just to wrap my head around the Bible and see things in new ways and stuff. So I've got some Lynn Austin, some Mesa Andrews, there's some amazing historical and biblical fiction authors that I always partner with. Uh, you know, if I'm reading in the Kings, I partner with a historic or a biblical fiction book about first about the Kings and things like that. So fascinating. Okay. So talk, yeah. talk to us more about that. Like, how does that work? You're so if you're in the Kings, then you read about, like, how do you choose yep. the historical fiction so and how do you interact got, with that? Lynn Austin, yeah, sure. Lynn Austin has, um, she's probably one of my favorites, but she's got different books written, but obviously she's done extensive research and she writes books about different kings at the time. So what I'll do is find, you know, those passages in the Bible, I'll read them over and over and over while I'm listening on Audible during the day to the book. So I'm connecting to the character. I'm understanding why the decisions were made that were made. Uh, I love, I love autobiography. So I love reading the president's books that they write, things like that. And so this is kind of my way of doing that and able to say, okay, this is why Hezekiah was thinking that this was the temptation in that. And, and, and really grasping that I find as even a teacher, it helps me when I go to tell stories to to, to, to my audience, to, to be able to really modernize exactly the, the mental struggles that they were having and what they were feeling. And I just, I just learn a lot, it makes them a lot more human to me, mm. um, than, than heroic because, you know, most of them at the time weren't thinking they were heroic. And so, um, 
you know, and so it's nice to, it's nice to do it that way. So I do that with, with pretty much Deborah. I've, I've, I mean, hundreds of characters in the Bible that, um, that there's some great, great, uh, biblical fiction books written around them. So. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. All right. What is the main point of emphasis with your team right now? Yes. Uh, okay. So with, with my team currently, we, um, we went through a big, a big transition this summer and we, we lost a few staff. And so our main emphasis as an entirety of staff is kind of getting back to the basics and, um, just making sure they're excellent, excellence level and just are very few basic things, uh, like connecting people to the church and, um, first time commitments to Christ and how we're walking people through that. That's our overarching staff, uh, 2019 initiative, uh, with, with my personal team, my leadership team, the campus pastors and ministry leaders, my biggest goal in leading them is helping them, um, learn to lead uh, in multiple lanes. And so helping them pull up from, from maybe being a singular campus pastor to now being an executive leader that helps lead a campus as well. Um, and that's just something that I'm pretty passionate about the, the turnover rate for campus pastors. I believe the last time I heard is about 18 months and my husband and I have both been campus pastors. And so I deeply believe that it's not, it's not necessarily driven to people that aren't on mission mm. or don't want to stay and be a part. I think it's, it's obviously it's in, it's in ministry. So, so pay is always, always going to be an issue and that's not why we get into it. But I do believe that at the end of the day, all of us, um, especially men in the workforce su- succeeding and knowing that I'm moving up, um, and I'm becoming better, better version of myself. I'm becoming a better leader. I'm becoming a better professional is important. And I think um, mis- we've just mistakenly oftentimes in church cultures and um, have, have put a cap on that to where mm-hmm. we haven't created a place for campus pastors to go. And the thing is, they love that community. They want to stay there and lead that community forever. But about after two years in, if you've got a good leader, they start feeling a little restless. Like, is this it? Is this all I'm doing for the next 30 years of my life? And while that brings great, um, just that pastoral side of them, there's a professional side of them that we're capping. And so I always see that as my job is to come in and kind of knock through some of those glass roofs for them and show them that, no, you can be an incredible executive and an incredible executive or a campus pastor, or you can be an incredible campus pastor and a, uh, you know, central ministry leader and just try constantly pull those layers back so that they don't are those ceiling that ceiling back. So they don't feel this restlessness inside of them in two, three years um, to that. They've got to do something else to either better support their family or to, to push that professional drive that God has get. I mean, that is a God given drive. Um, and yet sometimes we, un- we mistakenly just squash that. So that's my biggest thing. I'm, I'm very proud of our team and we've seen them step up in incredible, incredible ways. And I love even being the one on the team that can show that to the lead pastor. Like this is what you have right underneath you. You just have to develop it and cultivate it and call it out, but you don't need to go higher across the country. You have them here. Uh, give me a six months and you will see them become someone they don't believe they, they even have in them. And so um, that's kind of my greatest passion inside and my, my current focus with my team. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we do a ton of pipeline stuff uh, all across the country and 
when you look at a leadership pipeline and you look at most larger churches and you look at who's around, especially at the campus pastor level and up, a lot of times um, churches are guilty of leadership placement versus leadership development, and they choose to buy their leaders instead of build their leaders. Mm. And that is a that's a hard proposition. I mean, you can run out of money real fast trying to buy people and move them from other parts of the country. Meanwhile, raising them up from within means that you can give them, um, you can ramp them up from a salary perspective and also a leadership perspective. So I love that insight, especially, you know, I, I don't know that I've um, heard a person uh, articulate it quite like that from the perspective of campus pastors and their tenure being tied to, you know, the the breadth and depth of ministry that they're allowed to be responsible for. So I, I think that's a great pathway to say, okay, this person's a campus pastor, but as they raise up people from within the congregation and as they raise up staff to have higher and higher levels of leadership, then they should have capacity back, uh, well, from a centralization standpoint to do some of those other um, executive functions. Yeah. Now, now, Holly, what if though, as you're, as you've noticed that restlessness maybe, or some of the signs that maybe this campus pastor has more capacity than they actually have, yet you don't have another seat around the table on the executive side, or you don't have another role, or there's not room for them to, to move up or, or move into a different position within your church. How do you keep them engaged? How do you continue to develop them? Uh, yeah. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. Um, well, I, I haven't run into that too often, to be honest okay. with you. Uh, but because I feel like growing ministries always have growing roles mm. and uh, people are always cycling in life and seasons. And so there's someone who maybe had the capacity to carry multiple roles in the next season. Maybe their teenage child's going through something and they just got to scale back. And so maybe they're carrying finances and HR, but during this season, they need to just hone in on finances. And so I feel like it's always an ebb and flow. And if we're growing as a church, there's always opportunities for, you know, are we going to start a residency? Is there another campus on the, you know, do we need to start, um, uh, regional campus, mm-hmm. you know, pastors and stuff. So I am, I am a very, and this is going to go probably against <laughs> popular belief. I am a very minimal central ministry, uh, team built. Like I don't, I don't believe in big central ministries. I believe in keeping, um, if I could put it to a basketball version, I believe in keeping LeBron if he's one of the best players on the court for as long as possible. And so and, I don't want to see a LeBron and pull him off the court mm-hmm. and put him on the, to coach. And I, I feel like we do that a lot in ministry. Well, then what ends up happening over time is we're now taking people like being at a campus is just a stopping ground to the greater professional success and the greater um, voice at the table. And, the, and so I always, when I come into a church organization, my goal is to try and get the decision-making and um, even the, the staff, like who are they looking up to? Who are they? I want that with the people on the front lines. The ones who are touching people in lobbies are hearing the stories are, are reporting back to us as much as I can get those people to function at their highest level and have, have a, a great uh, voice amongst the staff. 
Yeah. Uh, I feel like a, a, a team does better. We stay connected to the mission. We don't become um, about having campuses that get to-do lists and checklists. We get uh, campus pastors that are real leaders. I mean, I think at the end of the day, if, if I could develop a team that uh, we could turn all, if something happened, God forbid, and we could turn all of our campus pastors loose. And we know deep down they could lead a church the same size as the one we're all sitting. Like that's a job well done. Yeah, and, for sure. Um, so, so when I see that and I am, I just feel like I, probably innovation is one of my biggest things. So I, I don't feel Daniel, like I haven't been able to come up with a way to show them their next steps mm. somehow, some way inside an organization to say, you can step here. I might not be able to promise a seat at the table, but are they a good communicator? Can I get them on the teaching team? Are they creative? Can they start helping speak into our creative process? You know, things like that. I always I've always been able to find the next step for them. Uh, sometimes it's convincing my senior leader that uh, they have it in them. And that's probably a, a little bit more of like getting, getting them the chance necessarily. I feel like the opportunities I've been able to find, it's sometimes uh, getting them the chance to do it. Okay. Um, is, it's probably been a little bit bigger of, of the wrestle in that. Okay. Okay. So, so what, um, what tools do you use then to develop them? Do you use, are there any particular personality assessments that you lean toward? Um, how can you tell when they have greater capacity? So, I mean, there, those questions are running around in my head that I'd love for you to address, but, but also the question of, you know, you saying the average 10 years under a couple of years, then do you just automatically begin or, or kind of have that expectation that all of your staff members are going to be needing that development plan in a couple of years or needing a transition or needing additional responsibilities, or do you just take it case by case? No, I, I do. I probably, I function under the assumption that everybody needs to see a growth path okay, and they need okay. to know their next steps. Uh, now there are some people that blow my mind. Like they could, they're content and they could stay in the same position for 30 years. And, you know, that's, that's great. I just, that's just been so few in, yeah. in far, far between. And it's probably not the typical people I would hire, mm. uh, on a team. So it may be people that I've inherited and I'm fine with that. Like, that's great if, but I don't, I don't function under that being, being the norm. I function under, uh, most people two to five years are going to start saying, can I take a more, even if they haven't, if they're not winning in my eyes, I feel like people still want to become a key player in the organization. They still want to take on more. So there's a big part of it and being honest uh, with them all along the way. So they, they know exactly where they are and aren't winning so that, okay, you know, at least it's, they're not expecting something when they're not winning okay. um, at the one job that we hired them at for. And so that's, that's big. Um, other signs that I really look for, of course, they love uh, personality assessments. I'm, I'm big on the DISC and the, and the Enneagram are probably my two favorite. But um, other signs I look for is just how well are they developing people? How many people have I hired out from underneath them? Um, do they have a strong right hand? Somebody who's developed a strong mm. right hand and basically all the ta like tasks type stuff they're not doing anymore. Um, they're they've got, they've probably got good minds in there and space to use those minds um, to help come up with solutions and things. And I just project stuff out, to be honest with you, you know, Hey guys, I'm working on this initiative. I really like it. Uh, and I just put different spearheads over different things. And that's always my fail safe way 
Um, I do that for my team directly, but I also do it for all stars I see on their team. You know, if I want to get to know an associate campus pastor or an associate ministry director that I think has got killer potential, I usually come up with some kind of project that I want to (laughs) run and, and put them as a spearhead. So that way I have an excuse to sit in their meetings. I think they probably leave meetings. I have a reason to watch what kind of team they build, who are they attracting versus the campus pastor. Um, so usually I try to set up these little mini teams, um, that are very short. They run, they run, you know, maybe a month, a month, six weeks long. Uh, you know, we're doing an automated giving push right now. So we're going to put, you know, this guy over that helping all of us create our goals. And I just like to see how is he going to motivate the staff? How is he going to encourage us to do this? Uh, that gives me a lot of intel of a, did he have the capacity to do that for six weeks and take on something extra? How many times did he tell me, did he come to me and tell me he can't handle this? It's too much for him. Did he mobilize people behind it? It just tell, shows me how much mental capacity and even um, time that they have. Man, I can That's tell, good. I can tell why Adam wanted you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> no, that's incredible. Okay. Sorry. I, one more question. One more question. Sure. Because sure. before we get back to our questions. Before we get back to the real <laughs> Yeah. Back to the real question. Okay. So you said strong right hand. Both Todd and I were looking at each other and we're like, yeah. yes, this is awesome. <laughs> and then I'm wondering, what's your Enneagram? Yes. Are you an eight? What is Me? your Enneagram? Yeah. I'm an eight. Yes. Oh, okay. there you yeah. go. like Todd. I'm a three. So okay. That, okay. a strong right hand is a very eight way of putting it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Eight wing seven. Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Right. So you like the party too. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So, the, so right. the question is. The camaraderie is huge. Yeah. Completely. Okay. <laughs> so the strong right hand, is that a volunteer is that a paid staff position? I mean, what does that look like across, uh, you know, up and down and across the organization? Yep. Yep. Um, it depends on this. It depends on the team. It mm-hmm. depends on, uh, I d- always, everyone should have a, a strong right hand, regardless of whether or not that is a volunteer or a paid position at our campus level, you grow into that being a paid position. So, uh, that that just all depends on the momentum that the campus has, how much that campus pastor is taking on organizationally for us and how well they're doing at that. So if I've got one of my campus pastors currently is our CFO, he's over HR, and he's probably got the most momentum of any campus that we have right now. And um, he's killing it. Uh, and so getting him somebody full time that can can be boots on the ground at the campus when he has to fulfill his, some of the central things that we need him on and some of our strategy things that we need his mind on was really, really important. Um, and he's done a great job. That guy would be our first go-to for a campus pastor. He's knocking it out of the park. So that right-hand position honestly depends on how much momentum on that, that is going on at that campus um, and, and where we're at organizationally and how much central you're carrying. So it's not a set role. I don't, when we launch a campus, you don't get a number two. Um, but as your campus grows and, um, the resources and, you know, the people follow that. I I try very, I try very quickly to get that, uh, Mm. for our teams. I feel like it is a critical role that and children's, I believe are some of the most critical roles to get to paid positions as quickly as possible. Oh man, I just want to keep on going, (laughs) but we'll get back to our questions. (laughs) Question three. We'll have to have Holly back on. I'm asking question three because you've been asking a lot of questions. Yes, go ahead, Todd. But I've just been listening and processing and been like, hmm, let me think about that. I know. 
Yeah, my mind's racing. Um, all right. So <laughs> what are the two or three things that you have to do every day to stay sharp as a leader other than spending time in the word and prayer? Mm. Yeah. So, okay. Just stay sharp as a leader. Well, I'm a, I, I am, I am a pretty, uh, action oriented person. And so, um, I'm learning as I've gotten older that I need moments of downtime and they don't have to be, I don't need an hour. I don't need 30 minutes. I'm extroverted. Um, but I need 10 minutes, you know, break. I used to all my meetings, everything back to back to back to back. I'd leave a work day of 10 hours and get home and be like, I didn't even pee today. Uh, I was a lifeguard in high school. So that really helped with that. Um, but, but, um, so, so I'm learning as I'm getting older, I'm actually better if I just give myself a couple moments to, to walk outside. Uh, I work from home some days. So just take my dogs for a short walk. And that sounds silly, but it makes me a lot sharper and also allows me to be more present uh, in, in, in my commitments and in my meetings. Um, I also have this mental think list. <laughs> this is dumb too, probably, but I have a mental think list on, on three different fronts. So my husband and I kind of sit, consider sounds silly, but we're both, um, business oriented. So we kind of consider our, our whole family life, one of our businesses, our farm and business, and then what we both are called to do in ministry of business. And so I always have my top thing that I'm trying to solve or think through or process in each one of those um, businesses per se. And so instead of grabbing my phone and scrolling social media, um, so taking it to the bathroom with me, whatever it is, I literally am like, okay, which one of my three am I going to think about mm. in the next three minutes while I'm making lunch or why I'm going to grab the kids. And it just keeps me sharp to, these are your three focus points. Um, scrolling is not going to get me there. It's not going to help me um, solve those things. And that's just become a, a mental discipline that I find myself like, oh, if I get in bed at night and haven't thought through those things, I feel behind. Um, and I feel like it, it gives me value to offer in all, all the fronts that I'm, I'm responsible for. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that definitely makes That's sense. awesome. That's so practical. And I think everyone can do that. Yeah, it's, it's great. And you know what? When I need, when I'm in let's say I'm in meetings for, for embrace all day. When I go, let's say fix my lunch, I can pick up my farm mental thing, which is a total different part of my brain. It's just a relaxing. It's just something, a hobby that we're doing, but we're maximizers. So we always do like, like Todd said, we should be making money. So <laughs> it's a farm. So I'm trying to get there, Todd. And so that's what I might think about at lunch. You know, you know what, how are we going to do this? Or what's our next project? How are we going to lay out that bathroom when we remodel it? And it, it allows me to break my mind from what I just spent eight hours in or six hours in, but it's still moving the ball on some front. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. My wife and I are both Enneagram threes. I'm a three wing four. She's a three wing two. And, and uh, I mean, because we live in the gig economy, I mean, you guys are living that out with the Airbnbs you have. Uh, literally everything will see an idea. I mean, even over Christmas, we were, we rented a car via Turo and we were just driving up and we we're like, man, we should do Turo. Oh, you know, so everything is like, oh, you can make money yes. doing that. You can make money doing that. <laughs> I know. I know. It's great. It's, it's, it's that, that part is awesome. So yeah. So that's kind of, that's, those are things that I find myself just having to do and helping me stay sharp. That's awesome. Now, 
about your home. Uh, what does leadership in your home look like? Uh, you said you have three kids and uh, your husband. I, I mean, both of you guys are a power. You guys are a power couple, power ministry couple. What does that look like? What does leadership look like in your home? <laughs> that is um, a funny question because <laughs> <laughs> my husband and I are both D's on the disc. Yeah, um, okay. Thankfully, we both have a strong second. So when we wake up every morning, we kind of look at each other and say, who do you want to be today? And, <laughs> and whoever takes the D, the other one has to go to their second, <laughs> their second personality and uh, live in that for the day. So, mm. um, so some days when we're, we're not uh, functioning on the same same say or we didn't we didn't do that it could be it could be strong <laughs> to say the least yeah. um so there's been times that my husband come outside and I was already functioning and mo- you know getting everything going and he's like you know what I think I'm gonna walk back in and come out with my yes <laughs> <laughs> that's great how the two of you know that how did you guys come to that point we're, well, we're, we just started to realize that we both are actually paid to function a lot in D personality, but we, I have a strong, I'm a strong I, he's a strong S. I mean, essentially, okay. essentially he he's has nothing DS? but D and S and I have nothing but D and I. And so, um, so we just learned that when we're both in that same, like we come straight from work and we're in that really strong, like, let's get things done. Let's tell everyone what to do, start delegating. Uh, it, it just doesn't always go, go well. Um, and so we have just learned that, you know, if one of us has got, got that hat on for the day, they've got something to accomplish. I'm better off to just be the party girl. Let's make this fun. Let's, let's have a blast doing it rather than trying to co lead it necessarily and, and, and vice versa. So, um, that's, that's just, so we just joke about it and we'll say to each other in the morning. So I got a lot to do today. Do you care if I'm, I'm a D today? <laughs> And of course we have other nicknames now for, for these, but, <laughs> but we ask each other that, you know, and so that way we know he's like, okay, I'll play the S I'll, you know, you just tell me, you give me a list of what needs done around the farm. I'll get it done. Um, and I'm like, okay, you dictate the days that he's going to be that way. You dictate everything. And I'll just, I'll make sure everyone's got good food to eat or tummies are full and we're having fun, you know? So, um, so, so leadership in our home really is the dance <laughs> and, um, and obviously he just, he just does such a great job with it because he doesn't push me necessarily to always be passive. And uh, while I try to be submissive, he de- definitely recognizes that side of me as well and gives me places to, to run with that. So he's, he's, he's a good, he's a, he's a good husband to, to a D personality. <laughs> yeah. My um, wife and I are similar in that we both have, you're both, both share the D. Really? Okay. Yep. What about She's secondary? a DC though. And I'm a DI. Okay, because I'm a CI. D is my lowest. You're a CI? Wow. Yeah. That's weird. Okay, so here's the interesting <laughs> yeah. thing. That's no, because you said DS. I don't know if you heard me. I was like, a DS? Because a DS is a, that's like a unicorn with a rainbow mane. I mean, I know. that's a I rare know. combo. And a, a right? CI combination is a rare one too, Daniel. Oh, okay, I didn't um, realize that. Now, CI is a borderline sociopath. <laughs> Do you, see that? Do you see that in me? Uh, no, you hide it well, probably because you're Canadian. <laughs> uh, maybe I have a high level of emotional intelligence. <laughs> that is so funny. Sorry. Okay, let's get to our last and question. This has been really our, fun. Our, well, yeah. <laughs> one other thing I was going to say about leadership in our home is uh, our kids are all in the middle school age. And so 
we are also very passionate about creating opportunities for them to understand economy, to, to practice being entrepreneurs. And, and that was a big part of us actually moving to a farm. Um, and so we are just doing silly things that we probably would never have done. Like uh, we breed our dogs so that our kids have to start the Facebook page and they have to you know answer all of the, the emails and keep up with that. So right now, leadership is a lot about transfer to our children. Uh, and teaching them, okay, now you're at the point where you can actually do jobs well enough that we will pay you for it because, you know, if it's taking care of the yard or things that we would typically have to get some outside help for, we're trying to transfer that to our children and help them understand that. So creating small fail-safe entrepreneur roles for our children is a big part of the season that we're in and creating, um, you know, my husband are both, both like, okay, let's not let Chick-fil-A, I mean, we birthed them, we wiped their heinies, we did all this, like, let's, let's teach them um, how to make money under our roof, <laughs> rather than under Chick-fil-A's. And so, yeah. um, so we're trying our best to create those opportunities. And we'll see how it goes. You might want to check back with me in a year or two. <laughs> we're about to, uh, it's, it's um, March, early March, when we're recording this, and the, um, my son's B-trap business is about to kick back up. Nice. So we did inventory this weekend in the garage. It's 41 that 12 are ready. Oh, wow. The rest are ready to, to That's go. Awesome. My, my kids are taught. My two girls are talking about buying a, a, a candy floss uh -huh. machine. <laughs> Just <laughs> it's like it 40 bucks in the wagon. Yeah. And then selling That's cotton awesome. candy. Yeah. That's because awesome. The return. There on, you go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it is fun. All right, everybody listening to this podcast, we're really sorry. We're, I want you to know that we are all ministry-minded first people. <laughs> yes. But everybody around, everybody that's having this conversation, including I've known Chris for a while now. He's been on the podcast three times, but we've hung out a time or two in other places. And we're all, like, obsessed with creating leaders of our kids. And so yeah. please know uh, we don't usually talk about such things as much, but a big part of it is helping them be responsible and helping them really move forward. And man, yes. I I think so. You know, I was talking about I think before the podcast, I was talking about uh, having conversations with your husband about you know different upbringings and the value of um, coming from uh, a place where you had to work and work really hard and you know, just the way that God has, has blessed our families. It's not necessarily, they're like, you know, like my kids live in a great neighborhood and, and they go to school with people that, you know, aren't on paid lunches and, you know, uh, at least some of them. And, you know, they're, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's something that my kids will miss unless I make it happen for them. Hmm. And so I yes, want to well, make sure they appreciate and understand um, those things. We totally get that. And I think that was a big thing for in the first decade of our children's lives was understanding Chris. There was a part of Chris. He grew up homeless. There was a part of him that was just so proud that his kids weren't on free lunch and that they did get the shoes they wanted for ball. And they, and so there was a big part of him that was just so proud to be able to provide that, um, not having any of that in, in his life growing up. And uh, it was about literally when our oldest got to about fifth or sixth grade that we kind of came to that same realization, like, but they're not, 
they're, they're also missing something that you have a grit about you and a, 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 just a, a thinking mechanism to figure stuff out and learn to create opportunities for yourself. And so that's definitely when we started to make the mental shift and, and trying to help them come up with um, just fail safe opportunities to do some of that stuff as well. Good, good. All right. I felt like I had to caveat that. I don't know why, but I felt like <laughs> it's great. All right. So um, question number five is what would you tell your 20 year old self uh, about preparing to lead and leadership in general? Wow. <laughs> I don't think about my 20 year old self that often. Um, there's probably a lot about, I don't want to remember. <laughs> um I think my 20-year-old self, this, man, okay, about preparing to lead, probably two things. The one, the first thing that I would say is I kind of grew up under the, uh, God, God lit, the church that I started going to right out of college was amazing, and God just lit a fire inside of me uh, for for really living a life that would see what he did in the Bible done today. And, um, and that, that is why I'm in ministry today. I didn't go to college for that. Uh, and so all of that is why I'm here today. So there's a huge, when I say this, I just want you guys to know there's a huge gratitude in me. It's changed my life. Um, it's, it's, it's changed everything about the way I see this world and, and, and God from becoming just a historical um, respect, you know, respectable figure to, to alive and real and changing day-to-day life. Um, but inside of that, there was also this mentality of find what you can be the best in the world at and Mm -hmm. go do that. And that was so ingrained in me. And to be honest with you, I spent a decade, my entire twenties trying to discover what is it that I can be the best in the world at. And, um, (laughs) And the truth is that led to frustration. It led to pride. It led to disappointment and failure. And so if I could go back, I probably would change my mentality on that. And because I've come to the realization, I'm not going to be the best in the world at anything. I'm not. There's, mm-hmm. there's 7 billion people. <laughs> like, I am not going to be the best in the world. I don't have to be Moses that led 2 million. I can be the best in my world that I can wow. be. I can change my little corner of the world and I can be the best wife to Chris that I can possibly be. And I can be the best mom to my kids, the best executive member of the staff that I'm chosen to be on. But the truth is I'm not going to be the one person. I'm not going to be Moses. And I felt like I spent a decade trying to figure out what was my Moses thing. And um, it led to discontentment and frustration. And I am so much more satisfied in my thirties with where God has me. Um, I've, I've got goals and I've got things that I'm looking forward to, um, but I'm not discontent. And I felt like this angst of my twenties because I couldn't figure it out. And, and that's to me, sometimes a danger when you are at huge conferences and, and, and I know, like, I love what we learn, but sometimes the person with the mic does have such a unique anointing and calling that the majority, that's why we're in the seats and you have the microphone. Mm-hmm. But in the all honesty, there's one of them and thousands of people in the seats. And if we're all trying to be that one person or find that one thing, most of us are going to live life extremely disappointed and in angst 
with what we've bought into. And so if I could go back, I would tell my 20 year old self, say yes to the next thing God puts in front of you, but be okay to just say, if I just change my corner of the world, that's good enough and um, live a passionate and sold out life, but be content in the process. And so that'd probably be the first thing I would tell myself. Um, the second thing is probably a little more personal, but I, I, I'd probably look at myself and just say that passion does not make you immune. And mm-hmm. um, there's no amount of passion for Jesus that's going to make you immune to some of the things that the devil is going to try and sidetrack you and destroy you with. And uh, your passion just doesn't give you immunity. And so mm. there, don't be blind. I was blindsided, honestly, when I, the first time I struggled with, um, with just some things that could actually disqualify me from everything that I was giving my life to. And people would tell you, she's the most passionate person I've ever met. I've never met someone who loves the local church like she does. And so there were some things that, that I started to, to feel inside some angst that, honestly could have disqualified me. And I was so shocked by that. And I, and I, and that that's prideful to even think about, um, and even to admit publicly. But, um, I think I would just look at someone that I, with, I saw an excitement and a drive in them and just letting them know that that is an amazing thing, but it will not make you immune. And you've got to stay focused. You've got to have boundaries. You have to understand what burnout begins to look like when your soul is starting to compromise. You've got to know that and recognize that. Um, you cannot plow your way through with passion and expect to end up on the finish line. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Holly, for your transparency, your vulnerability. Man, this... And perspective. Yeah. I mean, that was... Like we said, we've done this, I don't know how many hundred times now. Yeah. And man, that's just a really unique perspective. So... Mm-hmm. It, I mean, every way, shape, and form. Yeah. Uh, just when you think you've heard everything, <laughs> you're something else. Yeah. So that was, yeah, Holly Brown. We'll, in our show notes, link out to where you can find her and and the church that she was serving at. And yeah, just a lot of that. So we'll put that all in the show notes. But thanks again for listening in. As a part of our Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network, Todd and I are on another podcast. If you haven't yet checked out new the new churches, churches. the new churches q and it's a, it's a very different one. It's actually one where you'll hear uh, we don't really interview anyone. It's no. primarily me and you and once Ed. a week and then me and Ed on the other episode a week tackling Ed's, in 10 her, to 15 minutes. Is. Yeah. Tackling in 10 to 15 minutes, questions about church planting, multi-site, multi-site. multiplication, leadership. So uh, be sure I, to just really look it up. It's really good for yeah. just about anybody though, because it's like, hey, I'm about to add a third service. Talk to me about that. You know, what are my options? How can I make sure I don't make a mistake. What am I going to do to volunteers? You know, what are the best service times? Uh, it's really practical stuff like that, except it's one topic and we just go to town on it. Yeah. And if you have questions, oh we, yes, every one of our episodes, Please we do. answer listener questions. And so. don't just think of it as church planting and multi-site because uh, those things are usually applicable to an established church as well. So wherever you are, shoot us a question. Awesome. Thanks again for listening in.